I like to talk about Miramichi. I like to talk about sports. It's in my wheelhouse. We have hosted major midget Atlantics and then had our team ripped away from us thanks to Hockey New Brunswick. That still pisses me off. What I love about it is that you remember it one way, I remember it another, but we'll both remember it as The Run. Welcome to episode number 10 of The Run. Yes, indeed, folks, we made it all the way to episode number 10. Jerry Green is back. Welcome, Jerry. My pleasure, Patty. How many, uh, 10, is that, uh, was that over a four-month period, three-month period? That's an interesting question. We yeah, started this about three months ago. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right, here we are on episode number 10. A quick recap of episode number nine. That one really struck a nerve with folks that I wouldn't suspect would even be listening to this particular podcast. Sean McCarthy, as you'll recall, folks, was the guest. Sean is uh, the executive director of Bo Bear's Island, and he uh, regales us with a wonderful story of a baseball field and baseball games on Bo Bear's Island, a falling out with Chatham in the precursor to the Miramichi Valley Baseball League, and hence the growth and the hotbed of softball that Nelson became. And I thought it was fascinating, Jerry, and it really struck a nerve with folks of a certain generation. So on the outset, thanks to those who are listening in, and thank you to Sean for coming by to regale us with that tale. It was fascinating indeed. Well, you're... Podcasts have covered many subjects along the way, and uh, most of them sports-oriented, and I think that's what people like. On the outset here, we got to give a little shot to LJ Patterson Sales. Check them out online, folks, at ljpattersonsales.com. Massive inventory, always a good deal to be had. It is trailer and boat season, ljpattersonsales.com. All right, we'll begin with Chatham, a senior Ironman baseball. The Ironman Jerry are off to a one and five start as we record this on June 12th, which is Wednesday evening. They are awaiting the arrival of the Fredericton Royals tomorrow night. That'll be June 13th, assuming the weather permits. One and five record, three in a row they've lost, 28 runs for, 39 runs against, five games below the league leading St. John Alpines, who are seven and one. And we got our first taste of Andrew Case on the weekend as well. The interesting thing about the Andrew Case game of which he was up against uh, J.F. Naveau. And all reports, you know, J.F. was pitching well. He didn't have, there was some stumbling and fumbling in behind him. And uh, from all reports, the strike zone was a little tight. And uh, one thing leads to another. And those stats that you just uh, reeled off, the one that does concern me is the 39 runs against. You know, that's six and a half runs per game. And, you know, you and I sat down, not only Mark Noel, who's the head coach, and and, uh, and uh, Kevin Bowes, who's uh, assistant coach and or pitching coach, both of them agreed that usually pitching has its way in the early going of the season rather than hitting. But there's been an awful lot of hitting going on, Patty, and, and uh, St. John and Fredericton. And Fredericton surprises me in that, in that regard. You know, in, in six games they've played, they've, they've scored more runs than anybody with 45. Mm. And they're the team that's coming in on Thursday night against the, against the Chatham Ironmen. So... It, it certainly wasn't the standings the way they, they appear today with St. John at 7-1, and one, Fredericton at 5-1, and one, uh, Charlottetown at 3-6, and six, Moncton at 2-5, and five, and Chatham at 1-5. wasn't what I envisioned to start the season based on what we saw on paper. I would agree with that. Uh, outwardly, uh, I think on paper St. John was already tagged as the favorite heading into the season. Uh, their pitching staff is tremendous. 
it's tremendous in the early going of the season, and uh, one would assume, Jerry, as we progress, that it only gets uh, better pointing towards uh, the playoffs. As you'll recall, talking to Mark Noel earlier uh, this season, Jerry, uh, you want to try to avoid uh, that mini-series at the tail end of the season, and by that I mean now that we are a five-team league with Charlottetown back in, there is a playoff between four and five for the right to go on to take on the first place team. So uh, I am surprised, though, as you, that the Frederick Royals are out of the gate as quickly as they are. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they've allowed 14 runs, Patty, in six games. So Crazy. That's pretty stingy. Um, and nobody would have expected that. None of the um, uh, preseason reports had them adding any significant arm, let's say. But it seems like they've been uh, in a couple of, you know, they put the boots to Moncton a couple of times with double-figure victories Against the, against the Fisher Cats. So um, the interesting whole thing about it, and you got to see uh, St. John this past weekend against the Ironmen at home. And what was the one thing? Because they were ripping the ball all over the park, and so was the Ironmen in the first game, and then the second game got a little bit lopsided. But what was it about the Alpines? And, and, and you said they're kind of expected where they were supposed to be pitching-wise, but I didn't think they were going to have 41 runs after eight games either. I didn't think they were that explosive offensively. Well, Jerry, look at I, uh, Yeah, I, I can agree and also disagree uh, with respect at the same time. They, they have a great lineup. It's, it's There's a lot of carryovers from last yeah. year. Uh, they had a bit of a resurgence last year. You'll remember that series there. We were lucky to squeak through that one, as, as you'll recall. Uh, last year. I thought that was a tremendous series. You remember that one well? Mm-hmm, very much. Um, back to uh, Naveau in that uh, game against uh, Case versus St. John. Final score, Jerry, I th- believe was 10-7. Mm-hmm. Only one earned run for JF. And I think he left the game. It was 6-6 after two, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And outwardly, there was, I think, four runs in the first for St. John. You think, oh my God, here we go. Four runs St. John just put up. They have Case on the mound, but, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, Case got uh, hammered around a bit too. Um, it was your typical Saturday doubleheader at the first of the year, if you'll allow that. Uh, the line on Navo 2.2 innings pitched, five hits, three Ks, four walks, one earned run, nine runs scored, an ERA coming out of that game of uh, 2.63. Mike McKay came on, Jerry. He looked tremendous. Zach Newman was in the game earlier this season as well. He looks good. He's going to flip-flop between the junior and senior Ironman. Uh, the second game, Courtney uh, started. And uh, remember last year, Courtney kind of had a slow start. Slow start, and then was a horse with the absolute utmost of respect in the playoffs uh, for Courtney. If Courtney's not firing the way he was in August, September of last year, it's a different outcome for the Ironman. He was just on fire, as you'll recall. No, he was a tremendous asset during the uh, playoffs. And even in, from that game with JF versus Case, you know, Case allowed six base on balls, Patty. And, and looking at his yeah. numbers this season, you know, going into that game, he'd only allowed two. So now he has eight on the year. So as, as it was reported to me by you and other people, the strike zone was very tight for both pitchers. And that's resulted in lots of base runners and, and a hit here or there. And all of a sudden you get a 10-7 ball game. But certainly if you... Were to write down if I was to ask you to predict a score in that game between those two teams oh. with those two pitchers, you certainly wouldn't have said 10 7. Absolutely not. And I would make the case that if the game were happening in the tail end of August, first week of September, it is not a 10 7 game no. as we make our way through the season. Of note, folks, Andrew Case, 23 innings pitched thus far, 36 Ks. He's off to a perfect 4 0 start, a 243 ERA. And I suspect. 
that you will see Andrew Case in an Ironman jersey in August at the Nationals and at Ironman Field. Well, here's the one-two punch, Patty. Then you got Gailey, yep. who's pitched 17 innings, has 28 Ks. Yep. You know, those are the two leaders in that category in the New Brunswick Senior Baseball League, and they play on the same team. Jack Kraft got his first taste of uh, the mound in Moncton on Sunday evening past, and uh, the Ironman came up short against uh, the hometown Moncton uh, Fisher Cats. I did travel down to see that game, and I tell you what, here's uh, one thing I noticed about uh, I want to know. Uh, Kiwanis Park. Yes. And this is uh, nothing to do with the actual on-field action. But they sell a pile of merchandise. Every second person walking by you has a Fisher Cats hoodie, T-shirt, or a cap. It is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, uh, you'll notice on the Ironman Facebook page, and you can check that out, folks, uh, they are in uh, heavy-duty sales of merchandise mode as well. So uh, we would encourage you to uh, support your Chatham Senior Ironman and check out their merchandise offerings. But again, it's funny the things you notice sitting there on mm-hmm. a Sunday evening. Uh, there was just Greg Morris and I and uh, Emerson Savage, uh, who is a former Ironman. Remember, he had that no-hitter against St. John a few years ago, 2015 or 14, one of the two. And then Dylan O'Reilly stopped by as well. But again, as you're sitting there and you're having a little hum and a ha with the boys, I just noticed all this Fisher Cats merchandise. So you know what? Things must be good off the field for the Moncton Fisher Cats. All things uh, fair and equal. What kind of uh, crowd was there? Well, I would say, Jerry, there would be to the eye. Kiwanis is a big park. I'm going to say north of 400 and sub 600, so somewhere in that window. Mm-hmm. Little footnote, too. Made my way down to the canteen. I had <laughs> That's a, a footnote? I had a hot dog. <laughs> That's not a footnote. <laughs> I had a hot dog on the brain, and then I run into, I uh, remember uh, Mark Stymus and his wife, Shelly. They're heavily involved in Moncton Minor Baseball. Shelly was actually working the canteen at Kiwanis. Two hot dogs, a load of French fries, and a soft drink. They call the hot dog combo. Five seventy-five. How you doing? You're lying. Two hot dogs, load of fries, and you can go regular cut or curly. A can of pop. Five seventy-five. That's lovely. Unbelievable. Not like the Avenir Center. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bearcat and I slid down to. Uh, Wendy's on Mountain Road uh, for a you Baconator. You had a feed after the game, too? Yeah, it was, a, it was an aggressive Sunday evening, Jerry. Yes, it was. All things uh, considered. All right, looking ahead to the schedule, the Chatham Senior Ironmen are hosting the Fredericton Royals tomorrow evening. That is June 13th as we record episode number 10 of uh, The Run. It is your first chance, fans, to see the Fredericton Royals. Past that, and uh, we're going to go a little deeper here, Jerry, than we normally would. I have a busy week next week with uh, JMH uh, graduation season. I have a graduate in the household uh, this week. So we'll look ahead to the next uh, couple of games. Uh, Chatham is on the road next Saturday. That'll be the 22nd on your calendar in St. John for a doubleheader. They are not back home until the following Saturday, the 29th, when Charlottetown is in town. That'll be a Saturday evening doubleheader getting underway at uh, 6 p.m. And it'll be our first chance to see the Charlottetown Islanders, who, of course, are back in the league this year. Past that, July 1st, they're back in St. John for another doubleheader. And then uh, July 4th, which is a Thursday, uh, the Moncton Fisher Cats are in town. If we can go back to the home opener for the Chatham Senior Ironman, we should uh, give a little uh, plug here to the Anglophone School District North crew that was over in mm-hmm. France on that 75th D-Day commemoration trip and the students from James M. Hill who were down the first baseline with a wonderful presentation of the projects the kids had done uh, in preparation for the home opener and the players on field representing that 42 team that won the Armed Forces Championship. It was a wonderful evening of historic 
value, and uh, I just thought it was a, a fantastic way to kick off what should be a wonderful season at Ironman Field. The uh, Royals in on Thursday night, and the only loss they have, Patty, this year is to um, St. John. It was a 4-2 loss, but it, of the other five wins they have, uh, they've been lopsided. Beat the Fisher Cats 11-4, beat them 12-4, and 7-1. to So they beat the Fisher Cats three times. And, and scored uh, 23, 30 runs. And then they beat Charlottetown 2-0 and beat Charlottetown 11-1. And really, here's an interesting, you know, of course, Dave Barr still in the lineup. But Corey Wood's off to a great start with a five home runs and 17 RBI to lead uh, Fredericton at the plate. And then they got Sean Reed, who's put in 15 innings already and has got a ERA below one. So Let me jump in there. Um, the lad with five home runs already? Corey Wood has five home runs and 17 RBI. Wow. Absolutely. And um, Washburn has a home run. Corey Cavanaugh has a home run. But all of them seem to be coming from Corey Wood. So I imagine he's in the third or the fourth slot mm-hmm. in the lineup. So come out and see him. I would, I would hazard to guess he's got the most RBIs of anybody in the league. And I can tell you that real quick. But tremendous start for them. And, and again, they were one of those teams you didn't know much about. They didn't add any high-priced arms and... You know, they're, that sort of thing, or import arms, let's say, that, yeah. that I've noticed. They're, uh, they're sans Kramer thus far, and whether he is coming back is to be determined. Uh, there is some chatter that uh, Kramer may not be making his way east uh, this season, so we'll see how that washes out as we keep an eye on the Fredericton Royals. As we always do, folks, we love that chat on Fredericton rivalry. <laughs> of course, they will be attending the upcoming Nationals in the month of August at Ironman Field and Waldo Henderson Memorial Field in Chatham Head. They will be representing the province of New Brunswick. Though we are the reigning champions, the Chatham Senior Ironman still go into the tournament as host. The Fredericton Royals will be representing the province of uh, New Brunswick. Go ahead. So Corey Wood, by a mile, leads the league in RBIs with 17. The next closest uh, six, Dave Crosman, of his the same team, has six. So he's got 17. That's a tremendous start. And five home runs is by far best in the league as well. So off to great. This Jordan Dreyer, I don't know where he comes from. He's a pitcher in, in Fredericton and uh, has pitched 10 innings and has seemed to have done great work there. But the name's not familiar to me. And maybe he is an import. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not privy to... Uh, are exposed to uh, their lineup and, and wh- where the background of some of these players come from. Seems like a question for uh, Bruce Hollihan or Bill Hunt. Maybe we, yeah, should have, yes. maybe we should have them on at some point in time. That would be a great idea. All right, looking ahead to the month of August, folks, uh, let's uh, have a quick look at the schedule for the upcoming Nationals. Here is our gift to you. Book off Thursday, August 22nd, Friday the 23rd, and you may as well take a floater on Monday the 26th, just in case the Ironman make it all the way to the gold medal game and win a championship. You know there'll be a hell of a party there. So that is our public service there. So Thursday the 22nd, the Ironman open up against British Columbia. As Kevin Bowes enlightened us, that will be the Burnaby Bulldogs. That'll be an 8 p.m. start following the opening ceremonies on Friday. The Ironman take on Alberta at 1 p.m., And then again on the field at 7 p.m. that evening against Nova Scotia 2, which is the Sydney Sooners. On Saturday, they have one game, and that will be against Newfoundland and Labrador at high noon on Saturday. So one on Thursday, two on Friday, and one on Saturday. All Ironman games, of course, will be at Ironman Field. Saturday evening, there's the qualifying round, of course, and then uh, Sunday we get into uh, crossovers, semifinals. Call it what you want, and then the bronze and gold medal game. So, again, folks, please book off August 22nd. Be there Friday the 23rd, Saturday and Sunday if you don't already have it off, the 24th and 5th, and take a floater on Monday the 26th. 
All right, onward and upward. Let's revisit the Doug Gilmore auction in support of the Miramichi Timberwolves, the second annual Miramichi Timberwolves dinner and auction, and uh, a couple of old hands at that auction are you and I. It seems odd to refer to it as the second annual Miramichi Timberwolves auction, but of course, for the previous 20-plus years, it was in support of the Miramichi Riverman. It has been rebranded, rechristened in support of the Miramichi Timberwolves. All right, so Doug Gilmore rolls into town. You and I are on stage. One of us is uh, working the main stage. You're pounding the silent auction items, and we have Greg Mitchell on the floor during the live auction. But again, Jerry, a successful auction in support of the Timberwolves. It is something um, people have really embraced it as a night out. You do have some heavy bidders there, but most people are there to watch and hear from Doug Gilmore, the guest speaker, and meet people again. It's a night out, but it still impresses me, and we've and it's been since day one. Uh, the Lions Club with their oh chicken supper, crazy uh, stuffed chicken breast. Yes. Should, let me correct that because it is precise. And how they are able to feed, and I would have to guesstimate there must have been five hundred people there. Oh, there was north and of five hundred. And everybody 500. got their meal hot. Well, everything was hot and and good and fresh and delicious. And I, I don't, I just don't know how to do it. And they've done it since the get go. Yeah. Up at the Lions Center. Yeah. But now they, t- they take it on the road to the yep. Civic Center. It's very impressive. And, and with all due respect, and I totally agree with you 110%, and with all due respect, and we know these guys and gals very well, uh, the average age of the Newcastle yes. Lions Club is not young. No. Uh, so so they are doing massive things. And as that way, folks, if you can picture the Miramichi Civic Center in your mind's eye, from the Zamboni entrance is where they uh, kind of set things up. And then they move towards the canteen. As Jerry said, they're blanketing with that... Uh, Stuffed chicken breast dinner. And as the far end towards the canteen is getting his or her meal, they're coming back to the end that was already served with that strawberry shortcake. It's just military precision. It's yes. served hot. Yeah. It's served fast with a smile. I went back, Jerry. I think you were pounding out some <laughs> silent auction items yeah. uh, mid-evening. I went back just to say, hey, thanks to the guys. And uh, they were gone. Just yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And they take all their dirty dishes, knives yeah. and forks, and then back up to the Lions Center, yeah, do they go? Uh, and one would assume they uh, come back in on Sunday and wash all that stuff up. But I totally agree. Just a fantastic crew of people. And it's a great night. Look at it. Look, call it what it is. a great night for the Miramichi Timberwolves. It's a great night for the Newcastle Lions Club, two organizations that we both uh, support are uh, making some uh, good funds. And uh, I would make the case, too, as you reference the crowd and the people and the night out aspect of it, there are people there, and I judge not. It is what it is. There are people there who you never see at a Timberwolves game, a mm-hmm. Chatham Head Tigers, a Newcastle mm-hmm. Cardinals, or a Chatham Senior Ironman game. Yeah. Um, if they'd come to a game, hey, it'd be great. But if their annual contribution is this yes. dinner and auction, yes. that's fantastic in and of itself, too. And I agree with you. It's not all the regular faces you see there. There are couples. Uh, there are tables of ladies making it a night out. There are tables of guys making it a night out. It's a wonderful event. Yeah, and the business community gets behind it big time. They, the number of businesses have their own tables, and and uh, Doug got up and did a great job. And and, and as you see with most uh, of the speakers that come in, the the ex hockey players have come in. Never had anybody of hockey player, right? It's always been hockey players. Yeah, it always yeah. has been. Yeah, they give you their background, their life, their family, their parents, and all that stuff. And then they go down some more roads, and and then they open it up for questions, talk about highlights in their career. And it was funny how he opened up near the end and talked about some of the bad habits of some other players. And I think of Lyle Odelon. He kind of threw Lyle, I don't know, literally under the bus or not. Lyle must know whether or not. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I found that's the kind of stuff that makes you uh, uh, become more attached to that particular speaker because he's opening up and he's not just, 
you know, uh, giving you the facts. He's giving you some background on on some events that he's seen throughout his career. Look, I had the chance to introduce him further to what you're saying. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Doug Gilmore. We shake hands. He doesn't have a note in front of him. No. And outwardly, and you and I have been around enough microphones and enough stages over the years, you kind of go, holy shit. He doesn't have a note in front of him. I'm trying to get a hold of you and make eyes with you because I'm thinking, you know, this ship's going to list early and you're going to be uh, working the floor with uh, some questions. But man, oh man, these pros, they just got it. He just went for it. Uh, you blew his mind, if you'll recall, with that 89 question. Terry Chris putting Landon McDonald back in. You can almost see him going, who the hell is this guy in the back? <laughs> Game six, you remember. Most Game of us, six, yeah. Most of us only remember that in 89, the Flames won won the Stanley Cup. You're you got it uh, honed in on game 6 for the love of god. Unreal. Yeah, was, yeah and that was the intriguing part cuz um Landon McDonald claimed well he scored his first goal at the Forum in Montreal and he scored his last goal at the Forum oh, in Montreal. Was great. another significant part of that. And again, it was the only time the Canadians ever lost the cup on home ice too. As I have done many times before, I bow to that mind of yours and <laughs> its ability to retain NHL and Stupid hockey in general facts. Yeah. <laughs> Miramichi Timberwolves, of course, uh, selected uh, two territorial yes. picks yeah. in advance of the annual Maritime Hockey League draft, which is this weekend up in Edmonston. Again, we're recording on Tuesday uh, the 12th. Um, they have selected David Doucette from Bay St. Anne and Josh Russell from uh, Miramichi, two names that uh, fans will be familiar with, although both young men have uh, left Miramichi in pursuit of higher hockey circles. Uh, Josh has played the last couple of seasons at the Ontario Hockey Academy, and uh, David Doucette is well-traveled. A couple of seasons out in Saskatchewan with Notre Dame, both of their Bantam AAA and major midget levels, and now applies his trade in uh, Newbridge Academy, which is down in the Metro Halifax area. David also selected by the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. So David Doucette and Josh Russell, your Miramichi Timberwolves territorial picks. Yeah, it's always an interesting uh, procedure because it's really a pick sometimes for later on rather than them coming to your lineup and being in your lineup right, right. away. Yeah. It's for something later on where we, you know, uh, whether it's Russell or Doucette uh, as an 18 or 19 year old uh, coming through the queue and and is available and now want to would play junior A that that's where it really comes into play because I remember Patty I think Tanner Summers was a territorial pick wasn't he Oh I'd have a hard time believing he wasn't Yeah I would think he was and I don't know who the other person would have been at that time but Tanner in his first couple seasons was in Bathurst and doing his thing there and then decided to go a different route and so it's, it's usually you're not adding that player to your lineup right away. Best of luck to the Miramichi Timberwolves at the annual Maritime Hockey League draft uh, this coming weekend. It's a crapshoot at best, Jerry. Uh, by and large, at that level, there are names on paper, and you just roll the dice and pick where you're slotted in to pick, and you cross your fingers and hope for the best. Well, and it's especially challenging, and this year it's going to be held in Edmonston, which will be, you know, Edmonston, will, I'm sure, going to put on a great show inside. It'll probably be on the floor of the rink, I would think. Oh, yes. Brand new rink. Yes. Uh, it's always a challenge, Pat, because you have, of course, the Q draft last weekend, and then the MHL draft this weekend, where you have to make sure your picks are valuable, or not valuable, but effective. And so, you even though a player might have been drafted in the seventh round in the queue, he still might have an entire... There's still a chance he's going to come to the MHL. Not many seventh or eighth round draft picks or sixth round draft picks even in the queue eventually do play there. Right. So once they're on a midget, they got to play somewhere. So it's, it's a real... It's, a, it's more challenging as an MHL draft uh, 
uh, committee than it would be for a Q draft committee because a Q draft committee will, if you're taken, people want to come play for you. All right, as we put a cap on our little chit-chat about Miramichi Timberwolves, believe it or not, sounds crazy, but they're already selling season tickets every Wednesday in the month of June at the Miramichi Civic Center, if you can imagine that. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand it, but it just seems so odd that here we are on a sunny evening in June talking about season tickets for the upcoming Maritime Hockey League season, which, by the way, will be season number 20 for the Miramichi Timberwolves. All right, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League draft. I bow to your knowledge here. I'm going to take a back seat. Go ahead. Uh, that was last weekend. Let's uh, start with your Moncton Wildcats. Well, they they, they claim they in the, in the third pick again, they had the first pick, which they inherited from, well, not inherited, they traded with Bathurst and got the first pick, and they did that lottery thing again. Now, to answer me this, Moncton, let's say, I don't know, has eight balls in the cylinder, okay, that are bouncing around. Okay. St. John has one. Right. Okay. And maybe the other teams, because the uh, bottom five, I believe, uh, the, the two that don't make it and the three others are in the, so you, it's five, four, three, two, and one is where it's at. Anyways, you can't, <laughs> I like to know the system of how St. John's ball comes out to get the first number, one number one pick. They only have one ball, so the odds are supposed to be like 40-some-odd percent that the team that finishes last will get the first pick. Right. And it's never worked out that way ever since they started this. And they started this, I'd have to say, four seasons ago. So this is the first time the last place team won the first pick? Is that what you're saying? St. John wasn't the last place team. Okay, sorry. Their pick came from Blaineville. Okay. Who finished, I think, fifth last or something like that. I'm kind of lost and i got to be honest. Say that again okay, now. Okay, I'm trying to have you visualize this. Okay. So Moncton gets Bathurst's pick. Okay. Okay, so they get like, let's say there's 20 balls in there. They get eight. Okay. So you have 40%. Right. Okay. So the next team uh, that finished second last was Valdor. Mm-hmm. Let's say they get five balls in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then it goes two, three, two, one. So where so you Saint finish? John, where we, you finish indicates the number of balls you get. Right. Okay. So let's say um, if St. John's the fifth one and they got Blaineville's pick, Blaineville would have finished uh, 14th overall in an 18 team league. Mm-hmm. Okay. Made the playoffs, all that stuff. But St. John gets their pick. St. John has one ball bouncing around, you know, like a lottery. Right. It's a lottery. The old school lottery. And their ball is the one that comes out to get the first pick. Yeah, they beat some odds. That's huge odds. Yeah. And who'd they take? Joshua Waugh. And was now, he, he and was he the Justin consensus Ro- number one? He and Justin Robitaille, uh, Robitaille, uh, Robida, rather, is, um, they were, you get flip-flopped them back and forth. You know, um, maybe Joshua Waugh a little bit bigger than the other kid, but. Either one, you're getting a good pick. And Moncton's happy with their pick. They took Zachary Lehu, and he is good size, good, uh, you know, 5'10", 189 pounds at 16 years old. And they say he's a Cam Neely type, hard worker, oh. uh, desire, all that kind of stuff. So that's where they went. But the, you know, interesting thing for Bathers is they take a couple of uh, maritime kids. In the first round, they had two picks. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that uh, in a Neil Hodge article in the Times and Transcript that uh, John Torchetti is making a concerted effort, if you read the same article, and I know you did, to, to work through the New England states and uh, attract some players there, which has always been a tough sell because of the NCAA versus Quebec Major Junior Hockey League scenario, correct? Yeah, but he's from there. Right. Massachusetts, that is. It's not just Massachusetts. 
It's the uh, it's New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, right, uh, Massachusetts, and so on and so, so forth. So he has a a desire to have them come from there. And if you think about it, down the down the line, they had Keith Yandel came from there. <laughs> Funny, interesting story about Keith Yandel. Interesting in regards that I crossed his path long before he was. Uh, Brad Malone was at Cushing Academy, and that's where Yandel was. Oh, just before he got drafted. Wow. So there was a crossover there, and they played for the Junior Bruins together. Now, no, hold on. I might be wrong. It's not. He wasn't with Cushing, but Brad then played for the Junior Bruins, mm-hmm. Brad Malone, that is, and that's where I met him. Anyways, he's from that area, and Connor Garland's from uh, Situate, right. uh, Massachusetts. So two prominent guys that have come out and that the Moncton Wildcats want to use as, you know, uh, chips in regards to telling those kids that want to come play for you, look, at these two kids came from this area to our program, and look where they are now. Yeah, I understand that. Here's my feeling on that. May I have the floor for a moment? Sure. To me, if you are a bona fide pro prospect, and look, at outside of injury, if you are a bona fide pro prospect, your easiest route there is through the major junior levels. However, we have seen record of guys who were promised the world and told they were going to be superstars who all of a sudden end up in the Maritime Hockey League or in points beyond, yes. and they've given up the opportunity to go to an NCAA school. So it's a fine line. I judge not. It, it, again, like Yandel was going to the NHL. Absolutely. For him to go spend a couple of years at university, I, I look at it again, I don't want to belittle education. I'm all for education, but he was going for the big bucks, and he's still in the NHL. And obviously, uh, no regrets. Um, Garland was a bit of a crapshoot. I mean, Garland has a a, a taste for the puck and a nose for the net. He was small, Patty. He was super small. So you would think outwardly, maybe I'm going to go to NCAA. But no, he rolls the dice, goes to the Moncton Wildcats. He makes it to the NHL after a couple years down in the AHL. Hey, who are we to criticize there? CHL MVP. Yeah. Couple you know, times. he led the whole CHL in scoring the year he won the MVP. And a matter of fact, two years in a row, he had over 120 points in his last two seasons with the Moncton Wildcats. And, and now, after you know, toiling away and trying to learn how to be a pro in San Antonio, which is the farm team for the Arizona Coyotes, he's now a key cog in the Coyotes' offense up front in the top six. All right, before we move on from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, we should give a little shot here to... Huckins and explain the local connection on that one, Jer. Well, Cole Huckins uh, grew up in Fredericton, and his his uh, father is Phil Huckins, and his mother is Kelly Huckins, of course, which was Kelly Malone. So she has a uh, you know uh, Jimmy's sister and Greg's sister, Kelly, young sister, Brad's first cousin, Brad's first cousin, Brett's first cousin, absolute, and Ryan's um, first cousin. He's got that Malone size. But f- n- let me say this about Phil Hawkins. Phil Hawkins was a great hockey player, too. See, that's not a name I'm familiar with. Now, Pardon Phil, me. And, and Phil's a, I believe, still a uh, uh, in the police department in Fredericton. Okay. Uh, Phil, if I remember correctly, I don't think he ever played here with the Packers, but he played in St. John in senior hockey. <laughs> Phil grew up in Quebec. And um, I'm trying to remember if he ever did play a game in Miramichi. Well, while you played with the Miramichi Packers or even Tim Horton Leafs or whatever it might have been back then. But Phil was a tremendous defenseman, a super skater, good hockey player himself. So that along with the Malone blood and, and here you got, you know, Cole Huckins is 16 years old. He's six foot three, mm. 185 pounds. And Bathurst saw enough to take him in the first round, 16th overall. And he was he was playing at uh, Stansted. Mm-hmm. Um 
uh, College. school in, in Quebec. Yeah. It's a private school in Quebec. So that's where they found him and noticed him. And and uh, I remember reports when he was in in uh, in Fredericton playing there and what a force he was uh, on the ice with just his size alone. I uh, Googled up Phil Hawkins here in 1986-87 through 1989-90. He was at St. Thomas University. So... Your timeline is correct. He may have played uh, for the Packers, but you certainly remember him from St. John. Now, all things uh, fair and equal, it was uh, confirmed. I mean, on he played the... Fredericton Senior. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. Remember. Yes, but you remember sorry, the name. Sorry, yeah. uh, all things fair and equal. Jimmy Gooden uh, confirmed for us uh, via Tony Wormel <laughs> on the floor of the Miramichi <laughs> Civic Center that Gravel, was it Gravel? Yes. Did, in fact, play. Frank. Uh, for the Miramichi uh, Packers back in the day. So, uh, Jerry, uh, you nailed that one. We have a lot of uh, resources Yes, we do. We're we're glad that they come back and say (laughs) yay or nay on what you said. That was true. I was happy to hear that. And yeah, I should have. Tony would have known that. Tony would have played around that time. And uh, yes, so we were correct. All right, and uh, before we move on, let's put a quick cap on the Memorial Cup. I think the last time you and I spoke, uh, we were setting the table for that Sunday evening game and maybe didn't give it uh, its due attention when we had Sean McCarthy in because uh, Sean was going um, wild with us on uh, historical-based uh, facts of Bo Bears Island. So, Well, huge event for the Maritimes in, 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 uh, in Halifax. It was unfortunate. I think the whole week the weather was not good. It was either wet or cold or windy or something like that. The weather really didn't cooperate with what they had planned for the outside, which was a lot of uh, fanfare and activities for fans on the streets of Halifax. I know they had a lot of uh, musical input throughout the, throughout the week on the streets. But then you come down, you've got two Quebec Major Junior Hockey League teams facing off for the championship, which I don't think anybody would have predicted to start the tournament. And then I just thought as it went along, Patty, this Runaranda team, they, there has to be some sort of uh, conditioning uh, uh, edge they must have had because every game in the third period they outworked and outscored the opposition and thus win the Memorial Cup. And here Halifax now hosted, great team, good young team that they're going to lose a few pieces of that that look good again for next year, but they went through the whole process and Runaranda stood in their way for not only a President's Cup, for also a Memorial Cup as well as another Q team. We talked about this, five of the last nine um, Winners of the Memorial Cup have been Q-based teams. And, of course, now back-to-back with Bathurst and Runaranda, which they say are the two smallest communities to have a CHL team. Yeah, I imagine. Unbelievable. Five of the last nine. Five of the last nine. Wow. All right. uh, So uh, what are you saying there? Is all of a sudden the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League the go-to league? And, And by that, I mean... On the opposite end of the spectrum, I believe, Jerry, and you have it right there in front of you, hopefully, the Western Hockey League is kind of off the grid on the Memorial Cup all of a sudden. Yeah, they have been. But you know where the population lies is in Ontario. And, of course, when you talk about the Western Hockey League, you're now with a team in Manitoba, all the way from Manitoba to B.C., which is a lot of territory, a lot of, a lot of people. I just have a sense when you go to these national events, they think of Quebec as the little brother. Mm. And, you know, yeah, okay, you guys are here, but Mm. we're the big boys, and we come from, you know, uh, the big area. And so... Hasn't one of the big knocks on the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League always been the number of teams and it's an easier championship to win? 
there's only 18 teams in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League comparatively to the Ontario Hockey League and the Western Hockey League? No, I don't think any more teams make the playoffs in either of those leagues. Yes, it's harder to get there. You, you have to fight. Yes, there's only two teams that don't make right. it. Right, only two teams right. don't, where, right. where teams with better than 500 records are getting ousted in the other leagues because it's tight. Yes. That is a possibility, but there was some awful bad teams in the other leagues, and it doesn't really matter. It's 16 teams, the best 16, whether or not you have a bigger base of teams that are communities that want to have teams or you don't, it really doesn't matter. Still the same amount of players, same amount of teams, but uh, it, it always was a sense that they felt the OHL and WHL feel like, well, get out of our way, the queue. We're going to have a tournament here and, you know, <laughs> just lose and fall by the wayside. It yeah. hasn't been that way anymore. And it has it, because of the mentality, sometimes, especially the Western Hockey League, they're more of a, you know, big wingers up and down the wing and, you know, uh, goaltending and big defensemen, where the queue is adapted with the NHL in regards to, you know, any size player can play any position. Right. It doesn't matter anymore. And the NHL's going to have... And I, I, I speak of Jordan Spence in regards mm. to a fellow that's new to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, was the CHL Rookie of the Year. And Jordan Spence is no more, as a defenseman, is no more than 5'10", 175 pounds. The guy that I admire through uh, the Memorial Cup and when they start flashing his year that was is Noah Dobson. And the amount of hockey yeah. that young man has played is just ridiculous. Two Memorial Cups inside the same calendar year. Come on. On his way to the Islanders. Like, unbelievable. No, a tremendous kid and a, and, uh, and a good representative of Atlantic Canada. And, yes, that'll be his last game played in uh, Major Junior. All right. East Coast Hockey League, real quickly, just as we talk about East champions. East Coast Hockey League. Yes, okay. Just as we talk about championships, uh, the Newfoundland Growlers are the first... Atlantic-based team to win the Kelly Cup, emblematic of East Coast. Canadian team. Canadian team. What did I say? Atlantic-based. Sorry. The first Canadian team to win the Kelly Cup, which is emblematic of the East Coast Hockey League uh, Championship. And I went down the rabbit hole of Atlantic Canadian Championships. Do you dare to venture a guess as to how many have been won, including the Kelly Cup? Um, Well, Moncton Halifax won AHL Championships? Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Well, St. John Flames. Oh, sorry. Yes. Right. But I don't think Fredericton ever did, did they? No. Are you no. ready for this? Yep. 71-72, Nova Scotia Voyagers. Mm-hmm. 75-76, Nova Scotia Voyagers. 76-77, Nova Scotia Voyagers. 81-82, the one you just re- referenced. The New Brunswick Hawks before they became the Munkin Hawks. Right. A couple of great local connections there. Lowell Loveday and Billy yeah. Riley were both yeah. uh, members of that team. So 92-93, the Cape Breton Oilers won. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. And 2000-2000. No- no, I was not. Okay. Uh, t- <laughs> well, that's why I always thought you liked the Oilers, is because you were in Cape Breton when the Cape Breton Oilers oh, won. Look at my head would have really exploded did. if I was there. Yeah. Uh, 2000, 2001, St. John Flames. So there's your Atlantic Canadian Pro Hockey Championships. And I must say this about St. John. Okay. Because the experiment with Major Junior in St. John didn't go well. And it had something to do with the ownership as well and the dispute between the owners. St. John's. St. John's. What did I say? St. John. Okay, St. John's. The um, uh, the rivalry or competitiveness between the team, the, the 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 group that won the bid to own the St. John's Fog Devils, right? And the city. Yeah, there was two camps. Yes. Yeah. And it was astronomical amounts of money for both to rent the rink and be the number one tenant at Mile One, which is the rink in St. John's, and the entry fee into the queue, which you know, on top of that. 
drug the St. John Sea Dogs in at three million dollar entry fee. Wow! And that just gets distributed to all the other de- all, mm-hmm. the, all the other teams. Mm-hmm. It was astronomical. And did they not? But have- St. John got wrapped up in St. John's uh, competition too be the, the ownership group that was going to get the bid. So the price went up. Yes. And, and am I crazy, or do they not have to subsidize visiting teams' travel as well? You're not crazy, and they did. Wow. And so, being over there, though, getting back to, they were always about, just like St. John, New Brunswick, was always about, well, the AHL was here, and we won the AHL here. We're not, a, we're not a major junior team. We're not a major junior city. That's not what we do here. We like the pros. And it's more that in St. John's. Oh, they yeah. didn't like, they got crowds and stuff, but it didn't take off at all. And I no. think they ended up going to Montreal and becoming the juniors. Yep. Um, trying to think how many years where they were in St. John's, maybe three. Okay. Maybe. And that was it. And so right after they leave, what is St. John's or the ownership, some ownership group? In come, the, in come the Leafs. Or no, the Leafs had just left. Uh, the they Jets. the Jets, the yeah. Moose and all that. And now, of course, they lost them because of the cost to operate. Yeah. Now the East Coast League comes in and they win their championship. And it, but the they East, were always about pro hockey, not major junior hockey. The East Coast Hockey League is so geographically oh. diverse. Like you're seeing teams from Florida and Alaska. Toledo, yeah. Toledo and Alaska coming in. Yeah. It just seems so crazy. All right, you ready for this? Three seasons for the St. John's Fog Devils. Ah, see, I was close. Um, 05 through 08. They became yeah. the Montreal Juniors. You know who they are now? Plainville? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We move on to the Can't NHL. We're on the evening of game number seven. You Bruins. wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. Bruins and Blues. What do you mean you wouldn't know it? Well, you wouldn't know it with all the Raptors this, Raptors that. Not that I don't dislike the I don't dislike the Raptors. It's just that hockey is taking a back seat because we have a Canadian team in the NBA final, which I get. Again, going back but to... But you got Boston and St. Louis playing for what we think in Canada is the number one sport in Canada, hockey, and... Again, it's really on the back burner. Going back to a long-standing argument that you and I continue to have, it's geography. <laughs> Anyways, before we get to the Raptors, Bruins and Blues, I'll take a back seat on this one. Game seven, paint a picture for us here. The Bruins show their experience, just like they did with the Leafs, facing elimination in game number six on the road with back then Toronto was all hyped to go to the next round. We're going to win game six. St. Louis, I don't know what the number of people were outside the rink, but it was in conversation throughout the city. And it was funny, Craig Simpson on the broadcast said of game six between the Blues and the, and the, and the Bruins. He said, I don't know what the liquor laws here are in Missouri, but I saw a guy who's walking down the street with a can of beer about 12 noon. <laughs> so they were ready. And, and they said there was 100,000 outside. There was a lot of people outside. Ready to celebrate St. Louis's first ever Stanley Cup championship, and it just didn't happen. The Bruins are just that way, and I can't see the Bruins fumbling on home ice tonight. All right, so you're going Bruins on this one. And again, your sentimental favorite is the St. Louis Blues. And I saw another piece today. Why are you saying that? Because they've never won before? Right. Okay. You know, Look Layla at you Anderson, with who's the Blues' number one fan, 11-year-old. Let me jump in there. Look at you with uh, some compassion here. I got, look, I got compassion. Oh, okay. All right. Yes, uh, go ahead with that young lady. And you got a New Brunswicker on the team. Sure. In and Al McGinnis in the office. Yeah. All right, go Layla with that young Anderson, lady here. one of the biggest. And you've seen it, probably seen it on, on uh, Twitter or whatever 
social media you use, her and her mother, and, and uh, mm-hmm. what the blues have meant to her and what she means to the blues. And today, another clip coming out. Yeah. Because she had bone marrow transplant, and she's still battling at 11 years old. And the doctor gave her clearance, and the blues invited her to go to Boston. And how heart-tugging that has been at the strings that it's, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that, even though I love the Bruins, if they lose to St. Louis and this young lady, it's not going to be Break her terrible. <laughs> yes, it's not going to be terrible for me. be terrible for some other Bruin fans, but um, I just don't see the Bruins fumbling on home ice. Not if Tuka Rask plays like he does and can. Uh, I don't think there's any stopping the Bruins tonight. A couple of uh, things about that young lady. What's her name again? Uh, hit me. Layla Anderson. Just the fact the Blues have, with all that's going on, the compassion and wherewithal to include her in their run, the doctor giving her the clearance to go. It's a wonderful story. The video that her mother and her did, it's very organic. It's just literally on a phone in their front yard or backyard. And, yeah, it uh, tugs at your heart for sure. So So on the other spectrum, you have the Raptors and how they've (laughs) – my goodness, Patty. How many places in this country from coast to coast – had Raptor viewing parties on Monday night. Somewhere between 40 and 60, I think I read. There's one here tomorrow night. Here? Vogue Theater is showing it. And I see the Avenir Center got on board, too. Yes. The Avenir Center is going to show it there. Yeah. And here they were in game number five. And there's so much controversy from game number five with, you know... uh, Kevin Durant going down and people claiming that they were cheering. That wasn't the case. And, you know, people in Canada don't cheer somebody's injury. I think they were cheering because he fell, the ball came loose, and the Raptors were going the other way. I don't think it had anything to do with him being injured. But having said that, he had a huge impact coming in, and the Raptors had a chance to win it, Patty, and the city would have exploded. The country would have exploded. Mm -hmm. And to take it down to the last 15 seconds and not get a good shot away with just a one-point lead, all you needed was somebody to foul somebody. So I, I'm somewhat not comfortable with them going to California to play Game 6 and then maybe having to come home and play a Game 7. Ah. Uh. The tremendous amount of pressure. Yeah, look at uh, That to, was the night. To me. I hope they haven't wasted the chance. It seemed like a missed opportunity. The NBA has come clean and they made a bad call on the home stretch there. Did you catch all that hullabaloo today? I, uh, vaguely, but I, I, that stuff goes in one ear and out the other. I don't care about bad calls and that wow. th- what if and this if Holy and what shit. if that. Oh, what's the call? What was it? Well, again, I'm not uh, an NBA uh, expert here, but uh, so much to say they have acknowledged the fact that they should have been on the foul line for a couple of shots. Anyways, my point being here. It has to happen tomorrow night, Thursday night, because going back to Toronto for Game 7 would scare the hell out of you, I would think. It would absolutely scare the hell out of you. But the Raptors have uh, surprised us many times. It would have been great if they could have done it on home soil. Hopefully they'll do it tomorrow night. But Mm. the the pressure of Game number 7 will just be too much. But here you have, Patty, a fellow that they added to their lineup. One guy, and he might only be here one year. Kawhi. And he is the difference. Yeah. He is the difference. He's unreal. He's that star-studded, go-to, reliable, calm, collected superstar that, Patty, I knew nothing about before he came to Toronto. Yeah. I knew he was in San Antonio, won a championship there, 
was a big part of their championship years, but the name didn't ring a bell. Mm. And here he is, and I, and I bet you he'll be just here one season. And if he's able to bring a championship to the the country of Canada, not just the city of Toronto, mm. forever his name will be honored. Well, I might say there's an election in October. He <laughs> he could run for prime minister if he delivers the goods. Holy smokes! <laughs> uh, but look, it's it's fascinating. We were having this conversation uh, the other day. It's fascinating as you follow the Raptors. And on a more grassroots level, what this whole Raptors mania has done for basketball in Canada, they're already, already, Jerry, and the series isn't over yet. Win or lose, it's not over yet. They're already bursting at the seams with an uptick in registrations for summer camps, subsequently fall camps. Uh, schools are seeing more kids going, hey, I'll see you in the fall. I'm going to try out for your basketball yep. team. And there's already talk that maybe there's not enough coaches and maybe there's not enough gym time hours and maybe there's not enough gyms, period. And you just can't imagine that one deep run led by Kawhi, as you referenced him, has done all this. And again, it's the dust hasn't settled yet, and they're already planning for a massive surge of would-be basketball players. And basketball's an affordable sport for any oh, kid. Oh, absolutely. You know, where hockey can be a challenge, mm-hmm. you know, for, for a lot of families. Need a pair of sneakers. Need a pair of sneakers. And you're but in But, you know, I, I, I watched every second of the game, and I've been uh, intrigued by the amount of basketball I've been watching, but intrigued how the ebb and flows can change very quickly. A team can go on a run. All of a sudden, they you know another team can hit three threes in a row. Yeah, and they talked about you yeah. know the fact that last three minutes you know that the Raptors didn't score very many very many points, and then why not call a timeout with 15 seconds mm-hmm. left? Mm-hmm. Why he said, well, I wanted I trusted my guys to come up with the right play. Mm-hmm. Well, if you sat down and thought about it, and Kawhi said I couldn't shoot because I had two guys on me, so I had to dish the ball. But that's the guy you want to have the ball. So why not sit down and let's have a timeout? Yeah, I think they had a timeout. I'm not sure. I think they did. You usually have a timeout near the end of the game. Sit down and say, let's orchestrate something here to get the ball to Kawhi. What it ends up, and here, here Lowry's over in the corner trying to hit a three-point shot. You don't even need a three-point shot. So I was a little frustrated by that. I can tell. I'm frustrated with the ebb and flows of the game, which is not like hockey. Hockey, if one team's playing well, it usually smothers another team or dominates another team. Here, it can, just like a flick of a switch, you can go from 10 up to being down three. Jesus, Murphy, two days after the fact, you're this animated and this fired up. How, what kind of shape were you in on the night of the game down there on Snowball Street? There was some swearing going on. (laughs) There was some swearing going on. Because I sometimes I get frustrated when you make a great play at one end to stop a team from scoring and then go down and have a useless play that you don't even get a shot off. And this was one of the things one of the commentators was saying. I thought it was a great point. Once the Raptors were up seven points, Patty, with three, three minutes left. Yep. Okay. When you slow down the pace of your play and because you're thinking of the clock, okay, mm-hmm. and then moving the ball around, all of a sudden – that shot clock becomes a player because then all of a sudden you see the shot clock kicking down and you've got to rush a shot off. Right. And he made a great point because that's what the Raptors did. They slowed it down a little bit, wanting to eat the clock, but at the same time that shot clock's another another guy on the, on the court that's making you force up a shot when maybe you don't want to. So bottom line here, tomorrow night, Golden State home game, it's got to happen. I think the Raptors will win in Golden State. 
tomorrow night. I hope they do because I feel like you're going to flatline if they don't here. You're worked up. There was also a time there, Patty, where... Charge the paddles. When <laughs> Durant was in and he had 11 points and I think 12 minutes. Yeah. But when he went down, you could see the Raptors were distracted. All of a sudden, then they were down 13. Mm-hmm. Did you see that? I noticed they that. They were distracted about, okay, he's out of the game. What do we do? It should be easy. And all of a sudden, bang, they were down 13. Yeah, the game plan goes out the I window. Don't think that happens. I don't think that happens again. I, I don't buy for a fact either that fans were cheering Durant's injury. I don't think so either. I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, speaking of cheering real quickly, World Cup, the States run up the score. I think in my heart of hearts, and I'm probably going to get taken a task on this, I'm not a fan of the choreographed celebrations, but hey, these ladies have worked their entire life to get to the world's biggest soccer stage, that being the Women's World Cup, and they celebrate a goal. Personally, I don't have a problem with it. You? Thailand's first year in the World Cup. This is the World Women's World Cup of Soccer. I believe it's in France. First time, okay? Against the number one seed. First of all, that's a, that's a death match anyways. But after, let's say... You know, the one girl counting how many goals she had on one hand. Look, again, again, again. I find that distasteful. I, I, I do too. But again, I, I'm okay with the celebration. I'm okay with an acknowledgement that I score. Again, that, that stuff there where she's flashing the four or the five, whatever it was, the choreographed dances, I have no time for. But no, again. it's not the score, Patty. Don't know. You're absolutely right. It's not about, you know, Canada's, you know, in hockey and other sports, women, men, whatever, run up the score. But as Canadians... We're very humble about it. Yes, we scored another one. It's 13 nothing. We're not doing a dance. And that's where I take offense of the way Americans handle it. We're not, a, we're not begrudging you scoring the goals. If Thailand's not good enough, put it in the back of the net. But you don't need to go on like, you know, you won the championship goal, mm. like sliding on the ground yeah, and kicking your feet yet. up. I guess we're, as Canadians, we're more humble than Americans, and that is a total understatement. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a wide-ranging uh, episode of The Run. It is episode number 10. Thanks again to LJ Patterson Sales and Service. Check him out online, folks. It's trailer and boat season, ljpattersonsales.com. Uh, You're going to get your final plug in there for the Raptors? Well, we got, it's, it's, it, it, Patty, it's funny, and thanks to LJ Patterson, what they do for the, for the program. It is amazing, like you say, and we've talked about I still can't get my head around it about how, how they've really, um, like the Blue Jays did when they were winning their championships, the whole country's involved. Yeah. The whole country wants them to win. Everyone's talking Raptors. Everybody's talking about the Raptors. Yeah. And so let's hope it happens. All right. One final thing before we leave. I've been administering Patty Quinn at Hotmail.com since 1995. I opened that up at NBCC Woodstock. <laughs> I'm an internet pioneer. It's Patty Quinn at Hotmail.com. Not Patty Quinn, one, two, three, four. You know what I mean? Yes. I was the original. Yes. It dates back to 1995. I'd love to know the number if there was such a way to count how many emails I have funneled through that email wow. address over the yeah. years. But anyways, I was going through a couple of old boxes, uh, and I came across one that was titled audio, of course, and the nature of what I do. I was going through some of the gems that are in there and I stumbled upon one from I would figure Jerry it was in the infancy of the Timberwolves in the first three years because I think Anaganish folded the cards 0304 so it's early we're at the Anaganish yeah. Arena on a Sunday evening and to paint a picture here here's how I remember it there are two ways we used to go to the Anaganish Bulldogs and play the, the team 
There was that god-awful run of Friday night in Antigonish, Saturday in Truro, Sunday in Summerside. Remember that swing? Yes. And then the other time you went to Antigonish, it was a one-off or on a Sunday night, and you went all the way from Miramichi to yeah. Antigonish. Is that yeah. your recollection, too? Uh, that's what I recall. We went down there for just the one game. All right. So we have a long drive. It would be what, Jerry? Five hours? Oh, yeah, I would say for sure, wouldn't it? We miss a memo. Right. From the league. <laughs> There's blood on someone's hands here. We get to the arena. And the annual ice show is on. Yeah. And we are told at the door that there's a two-hour delay in the game. And all hell breaks loose. You and I wandered down. Across the street, wasn't it? Yeah, we wandered across the street to uh, Chugglers, I believe it was called. Bar. Pub. Is that your recollection of yes, all this? Yes, absolutely. All right. So we might have had a beer or two. Would that be fair? Yeah, we had, we had to have something to eat. <laughs> we must have had something to eat. I was thinking steak. We might have had a steak. But anyways, yeah, we had something to eat and had something to drink. I would figure my go-to would have been a hot turkey or a hot hamburger. When, yeah. I'm, in a, when I'm in pub mode, I'm thinking yeah. hot turkey, hot hamburger. That's, that would be, yeah. Uh, with a mashed potato and a vegetable medley. <laughs> a vegetable medley, yeah. And, and a couple of beers. So fast forward, we finally get this game going. There's a guy who ended up being the assistant coach of the Miramichi Timberwolves, as fate and luck would have yeah. it. Yeah. Dave Marsden was his name. And Dave Marsden, with no disrespect, great guy. Stay-at-home defenseman, tough as nails. But he had a big head. And he, <laughs> and he liked to drop the gloves. He liked to drop the gloves. Right. So yeah. the, a Donnybrook breaks yeah. out. He had a big head. Yeah, he yeah. had a big head. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. So we're mid-flight. You're uh, ready to do the play-by-play. And I just kind of nudge you and point to the penalty box. And you just see this massive, sweating, steaming head of Dave Marsden. <laughs> We're laughing already. <laughs> so you totally unravel, and subsequently I unravel, to the point where folks in a, a row or two away from us in the general vicinity of the broadcast booth, and remember, yeah. it was offset, too. You were kind of kitty-cornered uh, to the way you were watching yeah. the game at the Antigonish Arena, the old Antigonish Arena. I think we had a couple brown bottles in the booth. Oh, I would say yeah. the uh, forecast was yeah. favorable for further beers in the broadcast booth. Yes, but anyways, we unravel here. Of it all, yes. I, I found this 15-year-plus-old uh, piece of audio. Oh, gotta be. In my Hotmail box, and uh, here it is. Uh, so Dave Marston, Antigonish Arena. You're going to hear some old-time names. Mike Sibley, Andre Gill, Lance Woodman gets a reference in here. Uh, so here it is here. We'll end with this. We call it the Marston Edit. That's how I saved it on my Hotmail box for whatever reason. You ready? I'm ready. Ahead for McCray. McCray through the neutral zone. He brings that in offside. A footnote. Uh, I, haven't, I don't think I've seen Mark. Seventeen oh two to go. 5-3 for the Bulldogs. For the Timberwolves. What's wrong with you? I feel as though I've lost you. All right. <laughs> Face off, one by Sibley there. Are you okay? okay. I don't think I've seen Mars. <laughs> All right, straight up. Kill comes over the line again for Sibley. And a little too quick was Woodman as Sibley was going to let her fly from the top of the circle. Now that I'm composed, I was going to say, I don't think we've seen Mars since he tried. <laughs> Never mind. 
Thanks so much for listening in, folks. Uh, thanks so much for uh, your positive comments, uh, folks that are listening in. It's unbelievable. We got tackled on the floor of the Civic Center. Jimmy Gooden's enjoying it. Elkin Cook's enjoying it. Our Gremley uh, gave us some love there at uh, Ironman Field. He's a fan, so we appreciate it. Uh, spread the word. Give it a share. Uh, let your friends know where we are, how you can get us, and how you can listen. And by the way, ironhousepro.com, Spotify, and via Apple Podcasts now. Jerry, that's a, a new wrinkle. What? Yeah. Yes. Do we get any, uh, what are they called, royalties? Uh, to be determined. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> you have to have a certain number of ears for that one. Well, let's do it. We're working on it. Okay. Thanks so much for your time. You're welcome, as always.